pandemic edition of the script podcast, our second in this series. Um, I'd like to, uh, this is this introduce uh, my guests tonight, Alko Kushalani and Christina Leaf Malin. Um, the script is the podcast for screenwriters by screenwriters, the deepest story analysis anywhere on the internet. On the script, we believe story moves pages, story moves product, and story moves people. Tonight, a special pandemic edition, Children of Men, um, directed by uh, Alfonso Cuaron. Um, there's a few uh, screenwriting credits, um, but the main credit goes to Timothy Sexton. Uh, it's based on a novel by P.D. James. Okay. Um, Alka, Christina, why did we choose this film? Um, I would say we chose this film because it is probably the best of the post-apocalyptic um, genre films. This is um, it's a really simple film, right? It is one guy, one goal, and, you know, he has to just go from point A to point B at the end of the movie. And it is, you know, like the landscape is kind of amazingly, gorgeously beautiful on the way to that goal. So that's why we picked this movie. Christina? We picked this movie because you guys won't flip the coin and come to zombie land with me. <laughs> we want to go to zombie land. Bleak. <laughs> We do. We're going to, I think. I'm going to disagree. That's what we do. I think next week, you know, we should definitely yeah. do a zombie apocalypse film. Um, to me. Don't give me that look out, I'm. I am absolutely open to zombies, but perhaps we could find it in another film and that discussion can be moved to the end of this one. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, I, I, when I thought of children of men, I thought of how, what we get in the first act of this movie um, being very relevant to uh, the pandemic we're going through now. The first act of children of men shows us one imagined way that the world is dealing with a crisis. Um, and I think it's great to reflect on all of the, different variations on the way this world um, has developed and expanded this science fiction universe, this version of Earth that given the crisis that uh, human beings can no longer reproduce, what happens then? Um, and then we go on a journey to try to restore hope for that. But I, I, for me, when I was thinking of what movie we should do that might help us reflect on the pandemic is I thought of the world of children of men. So. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a worst case scenario. And wherever we are 
in the narrative of our pandemic, it's not that bad. I mean, now going to your real world question, there are places on earth that certainly I think you could make an argument that they resemble the world of children of men, like I'm thinking of Syria, I'm thinking of Venezuela. There, there are places like this. There are, there are pockets of hell on earth right now. Um, and they are dealing with uh, their own internal civil unrest in addition to um, this pandemic of COVID-19. So, uh, Christina, did you want to comment? Um, I have so many notes in front of me. I, I'll let you just let you get into it. You should it just burn them and let it thing. go. It's all in you. It's all, it's all, it's in your mind. It's in the brain. Each time you guys say something, I write down a new note. Like it's, I think it's still just coming to me a lot of things. So. Okay. Well, yeah. tonight we're going to do one up and one down. Uh, then we're going to do the genre discussion slash art imitates life and maybe talk about children of men versus contagion. Then we're going to do story structure, screenplay structure and character emotion. Um, and then talk about the visual medium, talk about how this film, which has a fairly straightforward, simple plot, um, uh, achieves some very original things um, through the visual uh, choices it makes, um, which are definitely, you know, obviously are the uh, director's purview, but they're absolutely the screenwriter's purview as well. Um, so why don't we start with uh, one up and one down. Let's get into it. What's the greatest strength and greatest weakness of children of men? Well, you want me to go? Yeah, Christina, go. Christina, yeah. your turn. Alka went first last time. Okay, so the, the, the one up, I would say, is the, the continual theme of hope which, uh, you know, I champion a couple of other films, like The Road, which I love, uh, Girl with All the Gifts. I was thinking a lot about that movie as well. But they don't have the same type of hope narrative that runs through this whole film. Um, uh, and it's, it's extremely moving. Um, and then I'm going to do what I do best, which is the color girl thing. And uh, one, a secondary one-up is that um, our ingenue is, is an African-American woman. The last the first baby of this new dystopian world that comes from a black girl is pretty beautiful to me. Um, one down. Um, this is because I was researching it, that this came out in 2006. And in that year, there was a, there was a huge bombing in Mumbai. The year before that, there was a bombing in London. And I think I don't, I have to look, go, uh, refer to the book if they specifically had the fishes, the Fuji's, and this whole uh, Muslim factor, I just get really nervous when we play the Muslim as, as a radical branch. Uh, and they had this whole like Allah Akbar. And I wasn't comfortable with that because I felt like it, the fishes and the Fujis, I like it. I saw them drawing on, you know, the concentration camp theme. I saw what they were doing, but I just felt like I'd like people to lay off of the whole Muslims are radical people that are killing people uh, randomly. I didn't, I didn't like that. So it just... Yeah, this was not far after, not long after 9-11. This would have been produced and shot somewhere around 2004, 2005. So, um, 
yeah, I think our a bombing in London in 2005 that killed like six, almost 60 people. So that probably, considering this is kind of a, L- a London-esque or a British film, that, the way it was, where it was made, I feel like that might have been raw for people to do this kind of film right after having that, and you write the 9-11. So I think it, it would have fared nicer to have not thrown in the Muslim thing. That was just although like although we could argue, though, in the story, there's never a Muslim terrorist at all it could have been a comment on it could have been a comment on just sort of how the media is just going to blame muslim fundamentalism because we never see any of those bad guys all the bad guys in this movie are western and mostly well, there's no there's no delineation between bad guys there are the holy rollers and the yellow jackets there are the fishes there are the, the Islamic uh, contention, they're screaming Allah Akbar, which some people might find that but offensive. that was part of the, you know, the rebel insurgents. Like, That's they were actually overthrowing, like, the government, which is presented here as the uh, bad guy, if you will. That institutional force of the British government is very much uh, an antagonist here. And so when they're marching through the streets of the ghetto at the end, saying Allahu Akbar, it is very much reclaiming their own power. So I, I, I don't think that's bad representation. I think it's yeah, it but they're intentionally killing. They're not aiming for only for the the thing was it was, it was very unclear those battles that it, it felt like just anyone was going to get shot at. So it doesn't feel like like freedom fighters are making sure the women and children are safe and sh- only shooting the government. They were shooting everybody. It wasn't clear that they were good guys. As it, I know they were supposed to be considered radical good guys against the, the establishment, but they were killing anybody. So I mean, but I, that's the thing of a post-apocalyptic world, right? Is that there is this chaos, this who Agreed. is, who can I trust? And, and that recurs in this film, right? We, we, what are, what are my we don't know like who the good guys are, who the bad guys are. We only no. know to trust Clive Owen to get this woman. <laughs> <laughs> we only trust Clive Owen to get he to where she needs to be. He's like a pretty undependable drunk, you know? And, you pretty know. much. Um, okay. One of the things that I, that made me think about sort of our current world uh, uh, situation, the pandemic, that um, the children and men world, what you guys are describing is a kind of like, like ultra tribalism. There's religious groups, there's cults, there are the fishes who themselves are like a gang, right? So there's all these, when, when shit goes bad, and the government and our, our sense of safety and our sense of hope is taken away and the government can't protect us anymore, um, we go tribal, right? Human beings go tribal. And um, we see sort of patches of all the different tribes that um, Children of Men presents us with, uh, including the aristocrats, the wealthy uh, who are living in a literal ivory tower. I loved that image of yeah. that they cross this bridge and it looks like they're going to a castle somewhere and um, where the guy who's uh, got Danny the Houston. ultimate art collection. 
the brothers in law. Well, let's, let's talk about those tribes, right? So we have. Well, you guys can do your one ups and one downs. Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> um, but I want to. I, I want to. I, I do want to touch on the tribes here because I think it's important, right? So they're the refugees. There's the British government. They're the rebels who are the fishes who they say that their uh, primary aim is protecting the rights of refugees. And um, then there's the human project. <laughs> so these are the four factions and the four tribes that are presented in this world. That there's, are, there's a series of religious cults too who believe black. in like punishing themselves or there's a lot of different variations. Um, but I like that you brought up the human project. Do we have any evidence the human project is real? Yep. The end. Do what, what evidence do we have? Tomorrow. I bought that hook, line, and sinker. Okay. The, the name of the boat, they escaped to the final image. Although I didn't see image. any girls on it. I only saw guys on the boat, but I don't know. Just saying. Alka, did you? It did was you, the human project. Key's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. excited about it. Yep. Well, um, so what did you do? Did you do your down? You did your down. I didn't. Um, do, I, yeah, Christina's done. You do. Alka, can you give us a one up? Done. So, what I think is extraordinary here in terms of both the filmmaking and the writing is this is a masterclass in exposition because the exposition and the way we get this, the world gets built. It's like layer upon layer upon layer. And very few times, like the only time I remember somebody saying, Oh, this is who we are. And this is who we stand, what we stand for is, um, are the fishes. The fishes have somebody makes a speech about, we stand for the rights of the refugees. Everything else, it happens in this, in this really like um, very gently unfolding way. Like we see Diego, the youngest guy, it opens with baby this newscast of baby Diego, the youngest person on the planet has died. Then it's like they're in a room that's kind of covered with newspapers, you know, when they're, um, when they kidnapped Clive Owen and you get the world built from that. Great, like you can great see, image, great image. What does that say to you? That says to me that this is, and actually this is not my original thought because uh, Quaron himself said that that's, that's one of his pet peeves in film is that when he sees movies that are um, overly explanatory about this is what's happening and here's who I am and this is what I do and so, it is That's somebody everybody's pet peeve. Okay. It's one of the hardest <laughs> things about filmmaking is building a world is to do as to do it. Like Hi, my name is Christina. There, I'm a, a mother. The mo there's a moment where they, uh, it, they tell a, a, a joke and he's, he's like, well, even if the human project is out there and they are organizing, there's like a definitely a few, you know, you know, clumsy. There are, yeah. There, moments. That, but it's, it's science fiction. Part of the genre of writing science fiction is that you are creating a world that's different from our natural world. And so it must be explained, the rules and the differences. So there's going to be some exposition at some points. But yeah. I like what you said about the visuals explaining yeah. the world. 
and not yeah, the characters. That is, that is just something that happens in a way that is like just really, really, um, it allows the tension to build in the narrative. It allows the action to continue its momentum. It does so many things right in terms of just giving us the information. Like there is a, the one animal in this um, film that does not like Clive Owen is this German shepherd. He's like walking through like apocalyptic uh, London and he, the, this, there's this German shepherd, they're refugees, they're people throwing stuff. And he just kind of is making his way through. And it is a really beautiful way to show, not tell. So that's my number one one-up. Um, and there's so many one-ups though, because I do want to talk about animals and symbols as well when we're talking about all this. But um, my only down really is that the only time that I also felt like that deus ex machina is when um, the fishes somehow find him at Jasper's, like how'd that happen? You know, um, it just seemed like the most secure place in the world. There was no exchange of information about Jasper. So I kind of, hmm. A little bit of a hole for me, a little plot hole. Okay. Um, my one up is uh, Christine touched on it a little bit, but this con controlling idea about um, what happens to a society and a man, our protagonist, when they've lost hope, right? What, what, how does that? Uh, break down the human and the society when there is no hope. The idea of uh, we can no longer reproduce, this is our last generation, everything we've been working towards, whether it's art, music, uh, whether it's uh, uh, engineering, invention, all of these things are worth nothing because we're all going to die. There will be no posterity. We have no hope. And then um, our protagonist, uh, has lost, uh, we find out lost a child and lost his, uh, his partner, um, a while ago. They say in the movie 20 years, I was not exactly buying that 20 years was too, too long. It's, it seemed more like a five year loss. Um, and, uh, just the, the, uh, tying together of our protagonists inner conflict with the world's inner conflict with uh, what we are trying to do in this series, which is take our pandemic situation, feel sort of the losses that we're all going through in this pandemic and look at this alternate world where they've also experienced a series of losses and uh, get some catharsis from that. Um, you know, a world where uh, the the gen the younger generation is has no hope. There's no there's no careers. There's no they're not thinking about education. A world where there's not um, art anymore. No one's creating anymore. A world where everyone's just thinking about their version of a end times narrative. How am I going to go out? You know. Um, that resonated with me a lot. 
Um, if I would, if, if, it, if there's one down for me, uh, I would say, um, I didn't, I like, I didn't like how they killed off, uh, Julianne Moore so quick, but it was a good move to cast, you know, big actor so that, uh, we, we believe anything can happen. Anyone can die. I think the, the narrative and how they did it. Yeah, it was and how they did yeah. kill. That is one of yeah. the great scenes of all time. Okay. What? what? <laughs> I don't, I disagree. I mean, it's like, I don't know how you can find it a down. I'm sorry. I know I'm, I'm not supposed to chime in yet. I, I just, but, missed... oh my God, that was like the best thing about this movie. Okay. You I know mean, what? It's connected what? to it, now that you're pushing me on it. It's connected to my real down, which is, uh, I didn't believe Clive Owen's loss of his child and his with you on partner because we never saw them. And um, I saw, in, I believe it because I was told it and I saw him suffer. But in filmmaking, it's way better to show the loss and then not to. I saw a movie, I saw Midsommar a couple uh That was an amazing movie. Let's not go Okay. And um, the first act of Midsommar, part of the setup is showing the yeah. main character's uh, actual loss. You when did it, not feel their history? No. Didn't feel yeah, the history barely, with the, barely, the car, barely. with the ping, ping pong scene? I that, mean, the ping pong scene, that's a great screenwriting mechanism. I want, I'm glad you brought that up to show that they have a... Chemistry. Uh, the chemistry, right? Um, to show that they have a shorthand, okay? And as a head fake to give a safety because for a minute they're playing a game, she's safe, next thing, you know, yep. somebody shoots her in the head. Um, but in terms of intimacy, like, you know, caring about a protagonist, when I saw him break down in the forest after her death. That was great. Actually, I, I really felt... I felt more of the loss he's feeling is the world's loss, children of men's world, the loss of uh, being able to reproduce. It was more of this collective loss that I felt the loss of Dylan or Julian. Um, Julian is not a sympathetic character. No, not at all. That's why you didn't feel it because she's like arranged this kidnapping. She's the head of this rebel group. You kind of don't know if she's a good guy. I, I, I think there's a lot that's imbued in that character. But when we like have her in relation to Clive Owen's character, I, I, I couldn't disagree with you more, David. I lost, I, 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 I didn't, I think I'm mostly troubled by not experiencing the loss of the child. The, the See, that's where I'm going to have to agree with you, David. Like, here's my, my problem. I feel like their relationship was a mechanism for an amazing scene at the end when he explains to the little girl how to hold a baby. So you see one parent that's lost, like explain, because she's never freaking had a kid. So she's just like, this one thing won't stop. And it's apropos to see him explain to her how to be a parent. And I think that yes. was the setup. That yes. was the reason that happened. Because in my mind, what I read, and I don't want to get clobbered by people. This is my personal opinion. What I read was a woman and a guy had a relationship. She might have had an abortion, but I didn't read having a two or three-year-old child and losing it. 
But from here's her. the thing we about find that. Out, we found out that they child. lost their baby in a pandemic, a flu in pandemic. In a flu, yes, exactly. Yeah. In they a lost flu their pandemic. baby in a flu pandemic. And, uh, Where all the kids who had not been, like, there was the series of miscarriages, right, in this right. world that was built out. So right. there was a series of miscarriages um, that Miriam, the midwife, explained. They had theirs. Yes. Okay, any mom that loses a child is never going to be 100% whole. But no. I think if you have some odd years to be with that child, you're going to be even less whole. And I didn't buy that she wasn't, that she was broken. I didn't buy her brokenness at all. Even, and there's some, and I think she's an amazing actress, but there are layers to showing you're broken and you push through with work. Yeah, it wasn't bad acting. It wasn't, she is a rebel. She is the leader of a rebel faction. So everybody's going to show you her soft side. What he said, everybody's going to have a Clive Owen moment where Clive Owen fell at the tree. She needed to have a Julianne Moore moment where she pretended like she was all good, but she broke down quietly so that we saw that she really was connected to her loss. I was not I her story. Why not that was us- not her story. Her story, she was a person of action. She was doing something where she had originated this idea I of totally getting agree with you. To, but I'm uh, saying getting I didn't, key I didn't to safety. Invest in that was character. her thing. She was business. She was all business. She was a badass. I'm not saying it doesn't the rebel work. Faction. I think it and- could have worked better. I could I why don't we have 10 minutes? in the film with Clive, the baby, and Julianne, and then, you know, build some of this. Give us one scene before- or understand her shutdown. I agree, Hunter. I don't need this at all. We see them together. You need to see, it's part of act one. Part of setup is if you've got to build, you've got to show us the character's wound you know, somehow, and just telling he us- He shows like- you the wound in the scene with Jasper, in Jasper's house. Not only do we see the picture of the family uh, on the yeah. wall, okay? okay. Where he's but sitting we on the also, side. He's also telling Key the story. He's hearing the story of Dylan, and Dylan has his eyes. And and Julian and Clive Owen's character, who's, I, I, Theo. Very nice Theo, scene. Why can I not remember his name? Theo. Yeah. So Theo- Very nice has, scene. Exactly. You got the story, David. It's I, there. I wanted to see the baby. I guess. I guess that. Oh, you that got the baby. Sense. You got everything. That was. That would make I think sense. Maybe that was the decision. Not for her. Maybe. Maybe this was the, the decision. Was if we showed Dylan as a baby, then the reveal of Key's baby would be less powerful because that's that is the crescendo of this film, is when we see the baby. That that incredible. Uh, sequence where they walk the baby through the army and 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 you know the men with guns are paused for a moment the war the world pauses in awe of the child so maybe that was the dramatic choice there uh not to show a baby early on so that key's baby has that much more power and can we just I'm gonna I'm gonna just step in again and tell you Key's baby is the important baby because what we have not touched upon are the is the biblical setup here. Okay. okay. We are talking about Mary Joseph and Jesus. Okay. She we're talking she about this, she was a virgin. Yeah, <laughs> she showed it's true. That it's part funny. of that is exactly what I, I mean I'm getting at. So she reveals her pregnancy in a manger. Okay. Oh, it was a manger. Okay. It was a bar. Theo's name is actually, I mean, 
Deus, Deus, you know, like there's the son of oh, God. Oh, you're going there. You know? You're going really deep. Yes. Everybody and I mean, holy really there is happy. so Quaron, much. Quaron is Mexican. Deeply so it's possible Catholic. Is he deeply Catholic? Okay. He is, he's Mexican. He's Catholic. He's and this, Catholic country for sure. Children of men. The title is taken from the Bible. This is from some Psalm, whatever. I have the quote. I, I am not a religious person, but I can tell you that the quote is, Thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, Return ye, children of men. Okay, so I, I think there's there something about this world that has been destroyed and a return to something. Maybe if one of you knows the Bible better, that's, that's their... <laughs> not <book>. me, man. <laughs> okay, so we... Um, Christina? No, I'm not going there. Not and then we that. have a Jew, we have... No. Okay. So um, I'm an Irish Catholic. New York. Oh, then you should go there. I'm an Irish Catholic New oh. York Jew who's never been to Hebrew school or Catholic school. What? My my uh, my Sunday school was uh, handball and tennis on the on the courts. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm, get your, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up those animals. The animals. The animals are everywhere, and all of them like Theo, right? I mean, he's, it, it, it tells us in one way that he's trustworthy, okay, because all animals know that, but it's also like, again, this biblical idea, you know, like in the Bible, they're always like shepherds and sheep and, you know, even I know this, right? And in the middle of this, I don't know, I saw like a giraffe, I mean, not a giraffe, I saw a zebra, there was a camel, I mean, this Thing is so popular. There was a camel. I, right Wait. in Central Park, there was like a camel. <laughs> and there was okay, some Okay, I have an official men. one down now. Now I'm a man and I have an official one down and I forgot and you just reminded me. Um, rules. How come humans can't have babies, but none of these animals are over 18? None of these animals are over 18. So animals can reproduce. Plants can. Yeah, no, but that makes can. sense to me. The, the conceit of this film is that man has... Uh, wasted that humans have wasted their chance on this earth that that you know it's not that the animals won't continue that's philosophical what's your technical what did anyone where was the technical rule about this about why the the there's for infertility except for that it just happened well it's really important i think as a choice as a storytelling choice that's actually a great point to bring up christina um, a lot of audience would want to know what caused the infertility. Why do you do that? Or why do you not do that in a script? Um, I think you, you have the, the pointlessness of that question addressed again in Jasper's house, right? He and Clive Owen are talking and he, I think uh, it's a valid desire says, for an audience to want to know. No, it's really, it's, it's, I, I think it's, See, it's watch not what you important say. The there. hater of Midsummer. Watch what you say about rules. The hater of Midsummer. Go ahead. Um, Love it. I think the rules here are very, very um, clear because it's all built into the world. I think Michael Caine puts out there that it is unclear why this happened. And you're not getting an answer because it is unclear. He's like, some people thought it was the pollution. Some people thought it was blah, blah, blah. And that wasn't the case. But, you know, in the middle of that joke about 
the stork, right? Um, Clive Owen also says it really doesn't matter. Why does it matter? And that's why I'm saying to you, it's like, it's less uh, the problem than how you solve it because it's, it is a very simple story about a guy going from despair to hope on this journey of getting the one pregnant person on the planet to safety. To so what I'm hearing, Alka, what I'm hearing you say is that by not answering the question in, in giving us some kind of plot point solution, we get to focus more on the emotional journey and say, by the way, this is not a film where we're going to be giving you facts and lots of like, this, is not, a, this is not a puzzle to solve. This, we are not, you know, we're going to keep the mystery box closed and you can focus on this emotional journey. And absolutely, I agree. I'm Christina? But you know what? That's a perfect segue because I had in my notes that Contagion was about the cure. Children of Men was about the people. Because through our last talk, it was constantly, how do we get it? How do we get the vaccine? How do we get it? Oh, this is how it kind of affects people. Who has a vaccine now? This was not about figuring out how to fix it as much as seeing humanity deal with hope. Like, and I just like those Great are on the point. polar ends. Absolutely. It, I think you just nailed it. If, if these two films um, have something in common, they're both about a crisis. They're both about a kind of apocalypse pandemic slash, um, but uh, Contagion was about endurance. Like we've got to wait it out. What, what, what do we do to each other while we're enduring until we, we get to safety? Whereas in Children of Men, there is no safety. This well, even more specifically, it was about the cure. We needed to know the steps to the cure. It mm -hmm. fixes, and we didn't care about a cure in Children of Men. Right, no, it, because the, the conceit is there is none. This, we are losing our civilization, now deal with it. Now deal with that loss. And that's very powerful. And that's where a lot of the emotions, to me, that's what Clive Owen's big cry was. You know, I think a lot of us in this pandemic have been feeling such, such, you know, all, the series of small losses building up. And to me, when I saw him cry, I was like, ah, oh, I, want, I want that Clive Owen cry, that catharsis of like uh, all of this, pain and all this these small losses i've been feeling about the way that our world is right now um and yeah because i i'm not worried about this film doesn't ex hint at all that we're going to get a reason for uh the 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 infertility um but very we get but we get a cure very quickly um 30 35 minutes in Maybe. Yeah. Should we talk structure? We're already talking character. Should we talk structure? Basic, real quick structure. Oh, we disagree. Act one, inciting incident, plot point one slash break into two, uh, midpoint, low point slash all is lost. Uh, act three, plot point two, break into th act three. Um, real quick. I'll do act one. We find that major cities are under siege or in, in the world. Um, the human race cannot reproduce. Um, there's an illegal immigrant crisis, obviously, uh, in, you know, when the world is un, in an apocalypse, all of a sudden people start running. And now in the UK, um, they're, 
not handling they're not they're overrun with an immigrant crisis um there it starts with this uh baby diego the youngest person on the planet dying which is a great mechanism for making us think about what it means to lose the ability to reproduce that eventually we're all going to disappear uh, Act One also has it mentions New York City has exploded in a nuclear attack. Um, that there are several cults, gangs, and religion, uh, religious groups. That tribalism we were talking about, and um, they're distributing uh, suicide kits uh, and antidepressants. So that's the world we're living in in, in uh, the Act yeah. One setup. And then we get an inciting incident. Yeah, this is where. Um Clive Owen is kidnapped by, um, by Julianne Moore's uh, rebel contingent. They take him off the street and they tell him, you want to make 5,000 bucks? Help us get this girl out of the country or to a certain place. And he's like, I really don't know how to do that. Um, but we know he needs the money from one small thing when they, when they dump him out at wherever they found him, they drop some coins and this guy is digging up the coins. He picked them up. He needs the money. Out of puddles. Which I tell my screenwriting students all the time, like I need money for my grandmother's operation is like the worst sort of motivation, but that's not where it's left because they are keeping a secret from him. But still, the inciting incident, I agree. The fishes kidnap Theo. Oh, I just got it. The fishes. That's the, that's the Christian um, secret symbol for I am one of you. Yeah, uh, Jesus fish. Oh, yes. wow. Got yeah. it, got it. Okay. Jesus fish, again. Stop it, Jesus fish. So, I get it. So, yeah, Theo r- refuses the call. He can't do it. Uh, he even he asks his brother-in-law, brother-cousin... The, who's the wealthy elite guy who's yep. saving all the art? Ooh. Yeah, that is a scene no. and a half in itself. Unbelievable symbolism with the statue scene. of David and yep. all the art being held in the ivory tower. He asks yeah. him, uh, "What keeps you going?" He says, "I just don't think about it." I don't think about it. That that broke yep. my heart in an instant. Yep. That that one and, line. You know, I mean, I've been I've David, been, and we've got. Guernica in that scene and you kind of have another way of fleshing out this world like Clive Owen is David going towards going and you know um, meeting Goliath and uh, we've got Guernica which is the world outside it is mayhem and war so um, the break into two is the break into two sorry I was going to ask Christina is the break into two Theo agreeing to transport Key and then going on the journey? I I felt like it was more like when she got shot. My first act I felt was about Clive Owen deciding to t- to jump on the adventure or not. And it was about the money at this point. We had nothing really invested in him. Right now he was walking through as the, the protagonist, but like where did his stakes come in? I feel like that 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 line of which where plot point one says, do you go back to your normal life or do you go forward is when, when Julian gets killed because the shit just gets real at that point. It's no longer just a cash cow. His ex lover 
has been shot. There's this whole fire in the woods, people that you love, Alka, that's just turned the script for him upside down. This is supposed to be a quick cash haul. It just became something different. And when he gets back to the fish house, this is where I think, I think it's a bigger plot point. Like from her death to them, that, that idea to your plot point one says like, do you go forward or, or do you go backward? Can you go back to your life or do you go forward with the fishes? And I feel like he was ready. He's like, I want to go back to the city. And like, you can't, man, you're on the news. But he's still thinking, I then, can go back to this old life. He, he reveals and a certain point. That's what, ha- that's what pushed him forward. Exactly. So but that so, was the crossroad where he was still deciding if he could go back to his old life. You could argue here that key revealing she's pregnant is the inciting incident. That it actually oh, happens about on 30, another layer. It actually sure. it actually happens about thirty five pages, thirty five minutes in. It's a little bit late. Uh, we we we're on the journey. They're on a physical journey. We're trying to save this person, but the real journey for Theo alone, without Julian, is her baby. Yeah, is when he. That. And it is a way better motivation than I need the money. It's I'm going to, I've got to save the, 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 the humanity. Yep. Agreed. Yep. Um, Act two, bunch of obstacles, your classic sort of thriller uh, where you are trying to transport someone um, against the government, against uh, another gang, uh, it's basic sort of smuggling thriller. Um, and uh, we were talking about this a little bit. What do you think was the midpoint? Where in Act 2 are the stakes raised? Where in Act 2 um, do, does the action, uh, the rising action, really uh, uh, double down? Well, I think what happens in, at the midpoint has to do with what the goal becomes. Right, and the goal becomes much more specific and much more urgent um, once they have escaped the fishes, right? Where it's revealed that Luke um, actually was behind killing Julian. Um, It it was, which is the most shocking thing, and um, Clive Owen gets them out of there which is another like super thrilling it's like the slowest car chase in history he's like push the car it's <laughs> so monty python like it's he's like not really gonna get wracking it's like oh my god that, that was so stressful my mind yeah. watching this like incredibly slow car chase so um he uh going back to the midpoint the midpoint is really um about like Michael Caine, Jasper, Jasper, Jasper saying, okay, this is the plan. Now we are going to get to Bexhill, which is this like, um, it's a prison. It's a ghetto. It's like hell on earth. And we're going to get there. And we're, this is how we're getting there. We're going to get ourselves arrested because that's the only way to get in. And so he's, he's going to help get them arrested, get Jasper, them to this. Jasper has a plan. They're safe at Jasper's house. They, they have a respite where they get to, to talk. We get a little bit of the B story about um, uh, Clive Owen's child and uh, how they lost him. So are we also saying, because I totally agree with this, that your midpoint is when the gold shifts. Like the, up until we got to Jasper's house, when they were at the fish's house, they're like, we'll just move her from house to house every few days. And they're talking about how do we keep her safe. So they're deciding to plant her. 
when all that goes down and go to Jasper's house, the change is to a prison goal. So is that how we, just as we're talking, people may watch this, like what a midpoint should do. Should it shift a goal? Should it shift a plan? The best, the best definition I've ever gotten of a midpoint is it is an inciting incident for the second half of a script. So the midpoint is when it shifts. And while the goal is well, still... It's, been, it's when they find Jasper and kill Jasper and the plan is spoiled. Okay, right? Like that... That is changed. That's the midpoint. That's the big problem, right? That is the... The, for me, the midpoint when, you know, the safe place they are, when this plan that Jasper had. I would say when, when they kill Jasper is like classic bad guys closing in. Yeah, I think the, before that okay. is they are in, uh, at, they are at Jasper's house and that plan has taken shape. It's, it is, it, it's not clear. It's not like one of those clear, like, boom, this is, yeah. this is the, sh but now they have film is a very subtle, get arrested. Subtle you know? rise. This film is like a very subtle set of. It's very of simple. It's like a simple thread from point A to point B, but how they find uh, that going to this midpoint is, is really getting uh, the specifics of this plan out. It is about getting arrested, and that's how they're going to enter this place, this prison. Um, and uh, found, and then they have to get on the road. They have to change the plan. Yeah. Jasper's killed. Right. Um, so then uh, we're back on the road again. What's where? Where do we have our our all is lost or our low point? But before we say that, can we just say that, like, for over all themes, like the first act is more about the money and the second act is now more about Kia. We don't even know what we're going to do with Kia, but keeping her and the baby safe is all. And it's kind of, is, is, I don't know if the word's right, foreshadowing. There's no it's baby yet. Reverse of unborn baby. What's the reverse of foreshadowing? It's like Clive Owens probably tapping into his feelings about his own kid inspires him in act two to move. It's like, what inspires your protagonist to do what they do in their act? It's money in the first act, clearly. In the second act, I don't know, is it, is it just saving Kia or is it a little bit of revenge for his, like, how do you think he's processing his wife? Like, his wife just, his girlfriend just died. Now he sees her baby. How is he I think it all changes when she reveals she, that, that she's pregnant, right? She reveals she's pregnant, and now it's not just about seeing through some mission, and getting money it is about saving humanity like we just said you know i think his mission becomes much greater and um there is this uh you know real fine detail about the flip-flops that happens also at jasper's house that tells you how uh he is not equipped for this mission it's just underscoring this guy is pure human he is not your hero he's got like every addiction in the book and he doesn't even have the right footwear you know yeah he is flops oh you're right you're right you're they right. get back yeah. on the road and um they they even get they get on that bus right they go to a school they uh, an empty school like an empty a, school so haunting i mean here. let's just while we're while we're here let's talk about some of the visuals like the empty school Keith sitting on a on a swing. Um, 
the idea that there's just no children around anymore is just so it's so haunting and a great symbol of hopelessness right um the idea of the uh you know the first act is in the city they're in london which is a busy place there's a lot of hubbub even though it's a post-apocalyptic or dystopian future it's still busy and you can sort of try not to care, try not to think about your grief. But once you're out in the country, which is once they get on the road, the rest of the, the act two is in the country. You're, you're forced to think about your grief and your loss. And um, there's uh, that that moment at the school is sort of a pause before we lose uh, the nurse, right? Yeah, yeah. which is the Mid-life. big loss at the. Oh, that hurt. Yeah, she's and and it also kind of again strips Clive Owen of his uh, support, right? So he's lost Julian, he's lost Jasper, and now he's lost Miriam. He is really at that point where it's just him and this girl, and the fate of humanity. So our all is lost is the loss of Miriam. Miriam, yes. Her wisdom her companionship, as well as her ability to deliver a baby, which we know is, um, you know, the obligatory scene. It's the, the shotgun that must go off in this film, right? Yeah. Yep, that's the Chekhov's gun. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, so then, that's our low point, Dark Knight of the Soul. They're stu- they get stuck in the immigration. Um, they yeah. end up in a shitty building in, 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 in the ghetto, right? On the dirtiest uh, mattress in the ghetto. That's where she delivers this child, and that's our break into three. Not to tokenize you guys, but do you as moms... Whoa! Yeah, do you guys as moms... Want- <laughs> Do you guys as moms want to comment on the, this is a theme of the film. Do you as moms want to comment on the delivery, the baby, this, this business? No, I, 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 what I'll say is this. Um, it's very Hollywood. You have a baby cry before any umbilical or mouth cleaning is done, but you hear a baby cry. I think that was like, okay, they just need to keep the plot moving, but I it think that a was a messier. CGI baby, no? Did that I, baby- like I looked it yeah. up because I felt like there was some type of um, controversy about that baby, but I couldn't seem to find it. And I feel like I do remember people thought it was too realistic or blah, blah, blah. I anyway, think they I- built a, they built this. This is like, uh, I, I don't remember where I saw it. So excuse me, but they built this thing where they had her legs and she was actually, she was actually in a hole behind that. And so that's how they delivered this baby quite realistically. Um, that was the okay. setup. And that's how I want to comment as a mother too, is like, it was, it was um, you know, it looks pretty real. Uh, what I will give you that I did buy is the fact that when, and I thought the dark night is when the cop came, Sid came, because like you saw he was a good guy and he turned out to be a really shitty guy. And I thought that was dark night. But what I will comment about motherhood is when she's limping out, that's truthful to like within three hours of giving birth, you're not like, okay, let's go, let's run, let's run. She's physically like her 
body has gone through something super traumatic and there's no hospital and comfy pillows. She's on a dirty mattress. There's probably, he basically poured, you see pouring alcohol in his hands to sterilize, taking the baby in. So this is the worst possible conditions to, to have your water break on a dirty bus and then give birth on a mattress. And I do like the fact that, you know, you kind of see her body trauma when they're hustling out of that building and even her climbing the steps, you know, this is, it felt real to me ish. I don't know. That's, that's my mommy's take, but don't say token. I hate that word. That's Sorry. Triggering. I didn't mean to, to trigger or, um, I didn't, I didn't want to call you out if you didn't want to talk about momhood. Um, the, but this whole film, I mean, this whole film, Dark Knight of the Soul, what did you guys call? Um, Dark Knight of the Soul for me was... He's on his own with Key laboring in the ghetto on the dirty mattress. That is, that's where he has to kind of reach of in to oh, his, whatever is left of his reserves of uh, courage and uh, of, you know, being industrious at this moment with very little. I think that's the dark night of the soul, that last push for him to kind of, yes. he's lost it. I agree, but they're, they're also before that, they're, they're stuck in this, like, um, this uh, hell of the refugee camp, right? With, with, with the, they're in line. It's almost like um, purgatory, um, you know, you know some, there's a cop who like steals his watch you know, it reminds me of a concentration camp, right? Like, oh, you're probably going to die. You know, oh, definitely. Gonna... There was definitely callbacks to concentration camps yeah. there and the so, Holocaust. And they, they, I mean, they was... end up in the ghetto and people are trying to take advantage of them. And yes, and keys and page laboring. So I feel like that was Dark Knight of the Soul. Yeah. But here's my question, even too. With Dark Knight of the Soul, this is, okay, what's the difference between Dark Knight and Soul and All is Lost? Because, like, which one should really put you into that final battle? All is Lost is your challenge, is basic, your low point, right? Which is the lowest point, your protagonist is at the lowest point of their journey. Dark Knight of the Soul is uh, a segment after that um, where you're mourning the loss of the All is Lost. So it's the mourning, it's the, it's the getting over it um part and that can be a moment or so when the fishes catch them again sorry when the fishes catch them again and blatantly kills the first guy about to kill clive owen and marta what is that to you guys well this i think is like the third or the fourth kidnapping at this point is this after the baby's we're born? Third, we're yeah, deep in third that's, act. And that's now like third act that we're, we're going three. towards the finale. We're yeah. in act three. When the baby's born, right. act three, I think act three begins. The, the, we now, the mission has escalated once again. It's not just get key on the boat. It's get this baby and key on the boat. Yeah. Right? And so now we're it's in that act that final three. push. Okay. Yeah, it's the final, you know, it so is we've the finale. London. We've gone from London then act two of the country and now we're at the port trying to get her on a boat right mm -hmm. and this port okay. is like one of the circles of hell right like this place is there's smoke there's graffiti um we get the uh the religious cults 
uh, and sort of the religious organizations and the cults um, all trying to uh, reckon with the end of days. Um, and there, it's, it's a refugee camp where um, everyone is, uh, is uh, excluded. Everyone has been told, you know, there's no room, you know, in London for you. Right. In, uh, and um, we have that incredible scene where uh, Clive and Key and the baby are, are, are escaped through the building and the, the, uh, the soldiers all pause for the baby. They, the war stops. The, uh, the crisis uh, might be you know, pauses for a moment and the tanks, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, they, 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 uh, like they, they spread. And for a moment there's peace in the world. And then as soon as they're off, the, the war goes right back to where it was. Yeah. I thought, I thought yeah. That was and that's like, you know, um, foreshadowed by um, Theo, saying earlier it really doesn't matter because the world is going to shit it's going to destroy itself anyway and that is that is something that is you know he gives us two visions there's this end vision which is this tomorrow boat coming in right and that is uh of hope but what happens after they kind of walk through um with this baby and everybody's kind of um startled and they're they're it's polarizing to everyone some people probably yeah. are just like but they go back to the fighting that, that broke my heart and i feel like that was the, the director and the writer saying this is the truth this is the signature on the love letter you yeah. always you know it's no matter it's not going to be so easy exactly and 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 that and you is know what i'm i'm so you know, as, as the uh, pandemic in the United States, as we're starting to see our curves flatten, we're starting to see people like start to see a light at the end of the tunnel. We're starting to see people get back to their old bullshit. And it really resonated with me. You know? Well, the funny thing is like in, in our world, it flattens, the curve flattens, that's great why are you starting to open beaches? That's not a priority in Florida. They're opening beaches. And I'm like, really? That and a yeah. Starbucks, that's a well, priority. No. We got through structure and character. Do you guys want to comment on Art Imitates Life? Like what about this movie um, brought you, uh, resonated with you and your own struggles in this pandemic? So I'm going to say that, you know, this film was made in a post 9-11 America. Um, we were starting to get reports from Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo. And I think that is what we're seeing here is a response to that world. Um, it definitely resonates because another we have- crisis. Another global yeah. crisis. And we, it definitely resonates with us now because we do have our little Auschwitz on the border, um, thanks to, on the Mexican border, thanks to our president, um, which we have completely, you know, which has moved out of the news as soon as we've entered this period of quarantine. 
Um, and I think um, what, what really resonated about this story where um, in almost every depiction of the real world, you have immigrants in cages and immigrants painted as the other. And there's a certain like survivalism that's uh, attached to the idea of the other coming to get you. Um, that is what is really um, kind of still simmering at the uh, underneath the surface of our world, right? Is um, I think people are still talking about, you know, the border and if our president has been successful with protecting the border. And for some, that is still a concern. In the, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're all quarantined. We're all housebound. And there are people who are still considering this world of the other and the threat of the other um, as a real threat to our survival. Christina? What, yeah, what about um, what about children of men uh, made you think about our your experience in the pandemic well you know i i had it and it just just went away because uh, i was deep into what you were saying i i think we're i'm not going to say we're lucky but i'm going to say that we have this sense um closer to contagion of seeing a future and this film was more, even though the hope was a thread, there, it didn't feel like there was a future with this film. Um, so I feel like it's very, a little bit more distant. But what struck me was the, um, something that resonated that we didn't talk about was the idea that the government would start giving out suicide kits and how against the biblical sense, like killing yourself is a mortal sin. The fact that, that that we're talking in biblical terms of this film and these animals and this life versus death and our main character dies at the end so that life can go on, but we have a government that's ready to kill us or help us kill ourselves. The irony is not lost. Um, and I, you know, the sad part is I, I really, I know this sounds bad, but I wouldn't put it past our current administration to do something similar in an eerie sense, just looking at how they're handling the current situation. And I think it's kind of, a loss of hope in our government right now because their infighting is taking precedence over the people. And, and that's, it's really disappointing that our government feels more like children of men's government and that we're not the priority, but what they believe is the priority is a priority. So yeah, that's, that's what I pulled from it, which is slightly different, but yeah. And I think, you know, it's something to talk about, uh, you know, about this pandemic is we really thought that this was something that was going to be especially, um, it's, it was especially going to devastate a population of older people, right? When we first heard about COVID. And, um, and in this film, like, this gov there is a government mandated um, suicide called Quietus, right? Quietus, yeah. And every, I think it's every month they have like this mass drowning of people over 60 because they view people over 60 as not contributing to society any longer. Um, 
And this is definitely a society, like David said earlier, that's kind of like bereft of any industry, art, etc. All of those things that kind of make life uh, worth living and um, make people, you know, that the ambition that drives people. Um, but I think it is very interesting that that is the line that they drew, that it's like 60 and up, you're done. Um, meanwhile, the population is dying out. So I, I, there was a little yeah. cognitive dissonance there. This is, this is what this film, and I think what the films in this series have meant to me, like in our pandemic, is a reminder that as soon as we lose hope or safety, we get tribal and we stop thinking about people as human beings. And we start thinking about them as either in our tribe or out of our tribe. Um, the, in, in this uh, pandemic, it's uh, the, the people who are elder, who we're, we're forgetting about. Uh, we're, we're seeing the people uh, in nursing homes. We're seeing people in uh, disadvantaged communities who don't have the, the money and the, the resources to stay safe in the pandemic or to get hospitalization and to get, uh, uh, to get the medical need, aid they need. We're seeing this pandemic is reminding me, just like in Children of Men, how quickly the refugees um, become, uh, you know, become other, right? They're just not one of us. And, um, Another podcast I love is Still Processing with Jenna Worth. Love Still Morris. Processing. Yeah. They, yeah. They, this week, they did an episode. They're doing a bunch of pandemic episodes. And they, this week, did it. They did an episode on the documentary How to Survive a Plague by David France, which was about the AIDS epidemic and um, the efforts of the activist groups ACT UP and TAG on how to organize and combat a disease. Uh, when the government is not adequately addressing it. And um, I think Children of Men, you know, brought me to that place of, I know, it feels like this world is lost. It feels like this place, this is hopelessness. Um, that, and that I just want to drink and cry and like uh, take a pill and like, um, Go, go into my art gallery and stare at David. We're all doing that. We're all looking at watching Netflix all day and watching TV. We're just like trying not to think about it. Um, when really what we should do is turn towards key, turn towards the, you know, a person of hope or an option, something that, that will give us back our, uh, our instincts um, our human instincts and give us a, uh, you know, a purpose again. Yeah, I think this is a really, I mean, this speaks to how great this film is. Um, it's, it's really, really bleak, the, the worldview of this film. And yet we kind of, I don't know about you guys, but I seem to have seen this any number of times. And that, I think, is the result of its tremendous filmmaking. Um, and 
I, I think we have not even talked about the incredible, that one shot where Julian is killed, which is really like in that filmmaking hall of fame, um, Cuaron and um, his cinematographer, uh, cinematographer Chivo, he, they, they rigged out the craziest contraption ever. And they hung a camera from the roof of that, um, of that car in such a way that that camera was just like turning. Like there was, n there was not a cameraman in that car. There was just like this camera that was turning and it was getting what it was getting. And when she gets shot, the blood stays on the lens. And the windshield cracks. Like it is a thing of, it is a miracle that scene exists and um, that it was captured on film in the way it was captured. It that is. Image, that image is the greatest visceral, visual cinematic loss moment. You know, this film thematically is about a, a loss and grieving and mourning and dealing with loss. But we, we, we are shocked. We are having a happy moment. And then all of a sudden she's killed. And she, you know, Julianne Moore is a famous actress. You can't kill her this early in a movie. So we get shocked with that moment. Um, and, and Caron, you know, he's trying to make us feel lost. Well, we have it a couple of times, though. We have it at the very beginning, the blowout scene in the cafe. We have it there, which you guys mentioned. And then also when, when Clive Owen's running to get Kia back at the very end, when, when the guys take her up in that building, and you're following Clive Owen, he puts Marta to the side. You, when he goes on that bus, because the guy with the dread sees him, and they're shooting up the bus with all of the, the, um, the refugees or immigrants in there, blood uh, spurts on the camera. And yeah. that whole scene was very immersive and it, it totally gave me Saving Private Ryan vibes. Like you are going to be in it. You're not just gonna sit as an audience member and think, oh, that guy's running over there. You're running with him. And a lot of these scenes you were like, I was emotionally like, uh, in it with him and it visually. I think that's a really that's a really good point that Christina just made because it, it it's like from the moment that they enter that place that ghetto, um, it is shot like a war movie. This could be you know in in any like high budget war movie like anywhere and it is really um, like again, like when you're stacking all of the um, the things that are going against Clive Owen, it's like it is just, it is the piece de resistance, you know, that Didn't it he also is feel now like a West Wing in the middle of shot? You're following him. Like the West uh, it reminds me more of the 1917 uh, oh, tracking that we we just saw, if you saw 1917 this year by Sam Mendes. But if you, if you, um, Think about the effect of this kind of verite filmmaking. Um, these enormous, these camera strategies that Chivo and Cuaron achieve, which have become sort of, uh, which have been imitated since Children of Men um, by Inuritu, uh, another great Mexican filmmaker uh, as well. 
the effect that it achieves is intimacy. It's more like the theater. You get to sit on that bus with uh, Clive Owen and Julianne Moore from a distance. You're, you're on the street with them, and then the camera is actually into the bus with them. You achieve intimacy more of a uh, like you're at a play in the theater. Um, and you uh, that mechanism they use for the car scene, it's like you're in the car. Um, and, you know, Sam Mendes comes out of the theater. I think Poirot has a, uh, a, uh, a love for the theater as well. And the way that you can bring um, a two-shot, not just a, an over-the-shoulder, like, basic, you know, director's um, repertoire, but something that feels more, like, like you were saying, immersive. Um, so that we feel the emotions of this film more so that, because this is, is not about the plot. This film is not about, you know, why did we, uh, become infertile? It's about what do you do with the grief of, of all of loss of, of this crisis? You guys have anything last comments you want to say you didn't get to say, uh, Things you're dying to let out. You got some notes there. Christina, you didn't get to. <laughs> no, I can't think I did. You guys, if I did, you guys hit it. The haves have dots. Comparatively, who do you think did a better job at haves have nots? Contagion or Children of Men? Uh, children. I mean, I think you definitely have like these strata in both these films. Um, I think it is very, very clear in Children of Men because of the cages and, um, you know, the desperation in the world around um, Theo that... Um, They're 10 years like into... A the... deeply, deeply stratified society that we are living in. Children of yeah. Men is 10 years into its crisis, whereas Contagion, we begin before the crisis. And we begin to see the class distinction the, the, um, and the haves and the haves nots over the course of the same two hours. Um, I think it's much clearer in children of men um, what happens when you, you define groups as other and exclude them. Um, well, and also they leave one of those strata as a deep mystery of the film, right? The human project, we never know what's up with the human project. Does it exist? Is it a thing? Is it really this, like gonna save humanity? And are they the right people to take key and the baby now? I mean, and Clive that is- And kinda like, kinda died on the boat. Maybe he's dead, maybe he's not, yeah. but we he's get dead. to see- he's dead. We get to see we get to see the boat says tomorrow, which is a beautiful metaphor for hope for um, the future. Know, trying to get yeah. it back, yeah. I will say this uh, for some levity. I watch a lot of Drag Race, and some of the after shows of Drag Race talk about different outfits, and they always go trend alert. And I feel like the trend alert here is kidnapping because it happens like in every act. There's a different kidnap. It's like continuous kidnap. I just want to call that out. That's the thriller. No, you're right. This is uh, uh, the structure of this uh, plot is definitely wrapped in your your classic sort of thriller 
conventions. So you're right. Guys, thank you so much. I want to thank Christina and Alka. Um, please join our Facebook page by searching for NYC Screenwriters Collective. Follow us on Twitter at ScriptFeed. Uh, email us with questions, comments, and complaints at scriptfeed at gmail.com. I'm David Negrin. Now go set a timer for 10 minutes and write something. Thank you.